We want to deal with the issue of what happened to Jesus between the time that he was crucified until the time that he was arisen. What happened the day God died? What happened the day God died? And when we look at that and we begin to reflect that the Bible clearly tells us that he was beaten, the Bible tells us that he was crucified, it tells us that he died and he was resurrected. The Bible also tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 14, it tells us that many people were shocked when they saw him because he was so disfigured that he hardly looked human. And if you recall several years ago that there was a movie entitled The Passion of the Christ and people felt that it was quite graphic, but we could still recognize that that character who was playing Jesus was still recognizable as a man. And so it wasn't to the extent of what happened to him as he was crucified, as he was beaten, he was so disfigured that one who looked at him would not have recognized that he was even human, he was a man. And so when Jesus was on the cross and he declared, he says that it is finished, what did he mean? And he was literally declaring that all the work that had to be done for salvation, all the work that needed to be done for someone to be set free and delivered, it was finished. It was done. And that's so, such good news for us today. And so this morning, as we look at it, uh, we want to answer the question first, what is death? What is death? Death simply is a, a separation from things that should be united. You know, when we have a, a family member or someone that we love, they, they, they die, that we are separated from them. The Bible tells us that also that fundamentally, if we have not received Jesus into our lives, that we too, Paul says it in Ephesians 2, that we are dead. In other words, we are separated from God when we should be united with him. And when we look at that and we recognize then that death is a separation of things that should be joined together, we also must recognize that death is more than separation. It is a separation from the body, that physical, and also the soul. That is not only when we are separated from one another, but it is a separation of who we are and what we have represented here on earth is a separation from the body and the soul. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 18, I want to just kind of share two words that we're going to look at here because sometimes that these words are used and they're used interchangeably as if they mean the very same thing, but they do not. And those two words are hell and Hades, hell and Hades. And we use those and we use those also interchangeably, but what we want to do is we want to look at this particular, uh, these two words, Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, and uh, Jesus is declaring, he says that I am, uh, let's read that together church, let's read that together like you know it is the word of his power, let's read it together now. I am the living one, I was dead, and now I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the keys of death and what? Hades. He holds the keys of death and Hades. Now, hell, uh, the lake of fire, is what we know as the final place for all who uh, does not, do not accept uh, Jesus Christ. And heaven is the final place for all who actually accepts him. But Hades is this, is this place. Hades is, is like a resting place. 
It is a resting place. And when we look at that, we recognize that in there's a passage in the New Testament in, in, in Luke chapter 16, and it's perhaps the most uh, profound passage of what, what life is like after life, what the afterlife is like when we leave here on earth. It's, it's probably the most profound in, in, in the Bible. And it's in the book of Luke chapter 16. And what we find here in Luke chapter 16, it talks about how there are two men who have died. And these two men that have died, one has died in faith and is a Christ follower. But there is another one who has died and he, he has not accepted uh, Christ. And one side, uh, the Bible refers to as Abraham's side and, or Abraham's bosom. And Jesus called this paradise. Uh, when he was being crucified, he said to this man, he says, that, uh, he says that you shall be with me this day in paradise. It was a, it was a, it was a place that was, was, was peaceful, peaceful Abraham's bosom, uh, Abraham's side. And the Bible tells us that there were many that, 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 was, that were in paradise. In Hebrews chapter 11, it is what we know as a faith chapter. And it talks about Abraham, it talks about Enoch, it talks about Noah, it talks about Sarah, it talks about all of those who were God followers, who followed God, that they were in paradise or in Abraham's bosom. Uh, there's another side, there's another side, and it's called Hades. And it's a place of torment, it's a place of all of those who died uh, and, and did not uh, accept God or did not accept Jesus Christ. And it was a place where they were literally tormented all day long. So heaven hasn't been opened yet. And because heaven hasn't been opened, there is this place, there was paradise. And, and hell or the lake of fire hasn't been fully opened yet. And so they're waiting in Hades. And so paradise and Hades are these two resting places, one for those who believe and one for those who did not. And so Luke, chapter 16, it gives us profoundly, uh, and we're going to start, and we're going to look at, uh, and start it in verse 22. It gives us profoundly a good look in the afterlife. Luke, chapter 16, in verse 22. It says, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this place. So we see that there are two, two sides. There's the paradise where those that are at Abraham's side. And then there is Hades where uh, one says that I'm being tormented. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Verse 26 through 28. It says, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, 
send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Now what we see here is that both of them are in waiting. One's in Hades, and one's in paradise. And there is a chasm between the two. And and, and they can somehow communicate with each other. They can hear what's going on uh, in the other place where they are not. But they cannot get across the chasm. So there's this separation. And there are those that are in Hades that have been tormented. There's those in paradise that are at a place of peace. And it comes to a place where the Bible says that when Jesus died, he went into the place of the dead. And he didn't preach the gospel to those that were in Hades. It was too late for them. But what he did is he went over and he began to share uh, with those that are in, uh, at Abraham's side. And he, he began to tell them that, get ready, you are about to receive the promise. Get ready, you're about to receive the promise. And, and he starts telling them about the place where they're going. And those that are in Hades, that they're being tormented, they're in agony. And so they cry out to Jesus and they, and they cry out and says, hey, hey, save us. And he says that I, I can't do that for I gave you a lot of time, but yet you did not receive me because you felt that you always had more time. And he says, okay, well, well, let Lazarus go and tell my family because see, I've recognized how bad it is where I am right now. And it's so bad that I don't want anybody that I've ever loved to experience this place. And so I'm asking you to send Lazarus so that he can tell my five family members about this place and not to come here. He says it's too late. And so this chasm exists. And although the chasm existed to those who had died, those that were in Hades could hear what was happening And they recognize that it might be late for me, but I've got to tell somebody so that they don't come to the place where I am. Do you know what's interesting about that is that everybody uh, knows the story of Noah. And and as he built the ark, it took him him a long time. And so can you imagine that he's building the ark? and, And the Bible says that he was actually proclaiming and sharing with the people that were around him. He was sharing with them and he was asking them, he was asking them to come on, guys, come on, let's get ready. And, and, and can you imagine that he's doing something that he heard God say, but he's never really experienced the result of what he is building it for? He's never experienced it. He's never experienced the flood that the Bible records, but yet Noah is building an ark. And then God said to him, he says, Noah, okay, you've got it finished. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to get your family in there. I want you to get the animals in there. And he gets the animals and he gets his family in there. And as, he, as they get in, he says, close the door. And the moment that he closed the door, it started to rain. And I believe that Noah was sharing right up until he closed the door, but yet no one would listen. But when he closed the door and it started raining, when he closed the door and it started flooding, how many of you know that uh, there were those that were coming up knocking, trying to get in, but it was too late. There was this chasm that existed between them and those that would be saved. Now, when we look at that, then we recognize that in... That Noah and his family, they were saved by the same way that we are saved. It wasn't by their works. It was by grace. That it was simply what God had done for them. They listened. They obeyed. They acted upon it. And they were saved. And Noah built this ark. 
over 100 years, 120 years. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter 2 that he was a preacher of God's way. And when he took his family in, it was at that moment as he took them in that he was saved, he was delivered, he was set free. But there were so many on the outside that they were crying, trying. You know, sometimes we don't recognize how much we are loved. You can see perhaps in your own relationships that when someone loves you, that they demonstrate that in a very selfless way. They just continue to give and they continue to give and continue to give. And so often, it's very easy to actually misrepresent that love. That rather than value it, we come to a place where we come to accustomed to receiving it. And because we receive it, we don't respond to it. And because we don't respond to it, we never get the full benefit of the love, what love has to offer. But you know, there's a passage that I love in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It's an interesting way that it says that this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, that anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help put the world right again. Isn't it wonderful that God's not telling you how bad you've been, that he's just demonstrating his love and saying, I want you to know how good it can be. And, and, and as he says that, we're overwhelmed by love that's an accuse, doesn't point fingers, doesn't keep the wrong, but a love that'll just embrace us. Look, God is not evaluating you based on where you've been. He's looking at you based on where you're willing to go. There was a love that, as Miss Catherine began to share just a little bit earlier, it was about a father and it was about a son who loved each other so much and the sacrifice of love between for this father on behalf of the people that he was guarded to protect. And this love was so powerful. It was so great. But the father was willing to sacrifice his son simply because that by saving one, he could only save one. By sacrificing one, he could save a world. And when I think about by sacrificing one, that an entire world could be saved, we must ask ourselves, what is my life and the significance of my life that based on myself, my family, and what I do, that I'd be willing to sacrifice just everything that I want so that I can extend that love that I've received to someone else. That if I sacrificed a moment, perhaps it would create other moments for someone else. If I sacrificed a year, perhaps it could create years for someone else. And when we look at that and we begin to reflect on it, we begin to think about that. We recognize that our lives have meaning. And even if you don't realize it, you were not an accident. That your mother, your father may not have had you in the cards, but God did. And because he did, he has a purpose for your life. And he says that I want you to live the dream. What's the dream? It is the dream that he had for you when you were no value to him at all. He says that I know what they can become and will become. And so he sacrificed himself as an act of love simply for you and I. But we all have a choice. What is that choice? A choice is that are we going to be united with him? Are we going to stay on our side and allow the time to pass when it can become to? As for me and my house, we have chosen to embrace a God who loved us when we had no value to him at all. And God is asking you to do the very same thing.